This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. He goes, can you kind of tell me like what a McDojo is? And I go, oh, it's like a really old term. Uh, it kind of it used to be like belt factories and people who would just not care about the quality of instruction that you would get. And they would just charge you a lot of money and sell you belts. Um, and then I gave him kind of a rundown of what my thought on that is, which I have a hard time agreeing with that, to be honest, because that's very um, subjective. How good someone is or can possibly be is very subjective to the individual, no matter what level of training they're getting. Some people just will plateau earlier than others. Some people will become the best in the world and some people won't. It's just how the cookie crumbles. And so after explaining what my version of a McDojo is, um, he looked at me and he just said, well, how come no one does anything about that? And I go, huh, well, good question. I, I don't know. And so that night I couldn't stop thinking about it. So the next day I started a Facebook page. That's how I started on social media, but I started a Facebook page um, the next day. And I, it was called McDojo Life. And then I just started writing these long winded paragraph style um, write-ups about these fraudulent martial artists out there. And like, here's all the proof. But the problem with doing that is that when you give someone all of the information, it leaves them out of the conversation. Mm. So I wasn't getting engagement. I wasn't getting people to really share it that much. People would look, but then they just move on with life. So it was it was something that I've had to change and mold over the years to make it more palatable to people to want to share and engage and interact and think and talk, which is the ultimate goal. Hey, my name is Rob with McDojo Life, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. everybody welcome to the podcast today we are going to go off the track of fishing we're going to go into the world of martial arts but not the legitimate world of martial arts we're going into the mcdojo world i've got rob from mcdojo life is an instagram uh, page a youtube page he exposes frauds in martial arts 
and not just frauds, but also uh, pedophiles, people that are just up to no good in martial arts. And um, I follow his page. I think it's fascinating. Um, the psychology of the people that are the instructors, the psychology of the people that are the willing participants. And um, man, it is it is a crazy world. And Rob is explains it very, very well. And um, I had a good time with this one because I, uh, I, I've followed that kind of stuff for a long time um, in my own athletic pursuits of being a, a, a high school wrestler and a wrestling coach and a wrestling parent. Um, wrestling actually works. It's a, it's a legit kind of thing. Um, I also studied uh, Taekwondo and um, under, a, under a legitimate teacher and um, so because of that, I've just attracted, interested in the UFC, interested in the chess game that is fighting. And then you see this other thing out there, which is this odd behavior where people think that they can knock you out uh, without even touching you with, with um, you know, some sort of a pressure point with, with you know, just nonsense. And that's what Rob is uncovering, as well as uncovering, you know, truly bad things like pedophilia in um, in the martial arts. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Rob from McDojo Life. Rob, man, what's going on? How are you? Living the dream, dude. Living the dream. I, actually, I got a little hangover this morning. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm shaking it off. I haven't had anything to drink in quite a while. And a friend of mine took me out. And then we just, we were just cutting, cutting up and I wound up drinking a little too much. So now I got this massive hangover, but I've shaken it off. I had that from like 7am this morning till about 30 minutes ago. And okay. now I am a new man. Well, I appreciate you joining us under the circumstance. Uh, that's, that's awesome. So um, you run the McDojo life account and YouTube page. And I don't know what else is, what else is associated with what you do? Yeah, so uh, I, I run McDojo Life on pretty much every social media you could possibly think of. Um, we're working on a documentary. Actually, we already filmed the documentary, um, and we're trying to work on getting that distributed. Um, but at, at, as of right now, it's my full-time job. I call out fakes, frauds, phonies, con men, and pedophiles in the martial arts industry. Right on. So how long did you? How long have you been doing this? It's been a while. Yeah, um, almost a decade. Almost 10 years, which 10 years flies by. <laughs> so yeah, but I've been in the martial arts industry for about 23 years. Okay. So when you first started oh, 10 years ago, wow. like a lot's changed with social media and, and everything in 10 years, how did you first launch kind of, what was your first initial idea, you know, to call out the fakes and, and pedophiles and things, or what were, well, what led you to funny, this? Well, funny enough, I, well, like I said, I've been in the martial arts industry for quite a while. Um, you know, I started when I was 12, I'm 36 now, and I just did the math and it's been 24 years, not 23. <laughs> um, but I was actually teaching a class one day. I was a coach at a jujitsu academy. Uh, my boss called in sick that day and he wasn't able to make it in. So he said, hey man, why don't you come go ahead and teach this class for me? And I knew he was sick because that dude never calls out. That dude was like a machine. But I went ahead and taught the class and it was a noon class. And after class was over, everybody left except for one dude. Well, while everybody was kind of getting their stuff ready, the conversation of McDojo's came up. 
And we all start shooting the shit and we're talking and, you know, we're just talking about what McDojo's are and stuff like that. But there was a guy there and it was only his second class ever in martial arts period. He did his trial class and this was his first official class as a member. <laughs> and after everyone left, he goes, hey, man, I, I'm sorry you guys were talking about something. I just don't know what that is. He goes, can you kind of tell me like what a McDojo is? And I go, oh, it's like a really old term. Uh, it kind of it used to be like belt factories and people who would just not care about the quality of instruction that you would get. And they would just charge you a lot of money and sell you belts. Um, and then I gave them kind of a rundown of what my thought on that is, which I have a hard time agreeing with that, to be honest, because that's very um, subjective. How good someone is or can possibly be is very subjective to the individual, no matter what level of training they're getting. Some people just will plateau earlier than others. Some people will become the best in the world and some people won't. It's just how the cookie crumbles. And so after explaining what my version of a McDojo is, um, he looked at me and he just said, well, how come no one does anything about that? And I go, huh? Well, good question. I, I don't know. And so that night I couldn't stop thinking about it. So the next day I started a Facebook page. That's how I started on social media, but I started a Facebook page um, the next day and I, it was called McDojo life. And then I just started writing these long winded paragraph style um, write-ups about these fraudulent martial artists out there. And like, here's all the proof. But the problem with doing that is that when you give someone all of the information, it leaves them out of the conversation. Mm. So I wasn't getting engagement. I wasn't getting people to really share it that much. People would look, but then they just move on with life. So it was it was something that I've had to change and mold over the years to make it more palatable to people to want to share and engage and interact and think and talk, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah. Well, you know, these kind of things have been going on. Like if you look at your account, you see these, these people who like are, are doing like the death touch or, or something where they, 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 someone comes in and, and there's a willing participant that, you know, throws a punch and he blocks the punch and touches him in the neck and the guy falls down. And it's like, how in the world does anyone think that that works? So a couple of things. First of all, there has to be a willing participant. So what's the psychology going on with these people who are, who are following these? I mean, it, it's like a, it's more like a, a, a thea theatrical kind of performance than it is something that would actually work. But somewhere, I mean, some of those people think that this really works, even that it's being done on them. But I mean, it's just crazy. Like what, well, have you had an opportunity to talk to people that are in some of these things that like, what is their, what is their mental well, state we with did. that? We did for sure. We talked to a lot of what I would call victims of cults because I have a hard time blaming a victim. Uh, like they were taken advantage of in a situation where they didn't know anything. And so it's very easy. I think for a lot of outsiders to look at it and see the crazy, that's the easiest part. But understanding the why is a much different thing. Um, a lot of times these people are looking for something to better their lives. Mm. And for instance, if you took your car to a mechanic and you knew absolutely nothing about cars, nothing at all, then that mechanic told you five different things that were broken, whether they're broken or not, you would not know that. You would have no clue. Right. The only one you'd actually know that is either one, you had a previous experience on your own, or two, you went to another mechanic for a second opinion, right? But most people don't do that. They go to the person, they go to one, and then that person sounds legitimate and they just stay there. Why bother with all the other rigmarole of trying to find someone new? I have somebody right here and they seem honest and genuine, even if they're not. 
Um, but the truth is, is that it actually has nothing to do whatsoever with what they're teaching. I could literally teach you doing the hokey pokey as a self-defense thing. And if I was good enough as a talker, mm-hmm. um, you would buy it based off of a lot of factors. But like, here, do you want to try an experiment? Me? Yeah. Yeah. You want to try an experiment? Sure. So let's let's um, let's say. I, you were coming into the dojo, my school, right? Which I don't own a school anymore because it's what I do full time. But let's say you were coming into my school and I was just trying to get you to sign up. Okay. Right. I bet you I can get you to sign up without you even knowing what I'm going to teach you. Hmm. You probably could. I mean, uh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Let's try it because that, okay. that's the fun of the psychology, right? So okay. you come into the door, right? And one couple factors. One, you called me. Mm-hmm. That's how every martial arts school works, right? right? We don't typically cold call. So you were already looking for what I'm selling. And then all I have to do is convince you that what I'm selling is the thing that you would still like to buy. So you come into the, the school, right? And I say, hey, man, how's it going? I'm pretty good. Pretty good, man. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Thank you for taking the time, getting here a little early so I can show you the place and we can kind of learn a little bit more about you. I want to know like, if you have any previous injuries, if you've done stuff like this before, mm-hmm. then we're just going to sit and we're going to chit chat. Are, are you coming from home or work? Oh, I'm coming from work. Oh, dude, what do you do? Um, well, I'm, I, I do podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you got the life. You yeah. got the life. All right, that's cool. How long have you been thinking about doing something like this? Ever since I saw The Karate Kid. So 1980, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would imagine that there was a huge, uh, a huge influx of karate kidders, but, um, uh, yeah, let's just say, you know, I've been thinking about doing it. Um, I don't know, since, uh, since the UFC has become popular, I've been watching. Oh, the that's UFC. awesome. Well, you know, that's a big thing right now. Like UFC, jujitsu, martial arts is kind of exploding because of MMA. So that's pretty awesome. And, um, I'm going to imagine like you have like a reason you want to do this, right? So what particular reason are you wanting to learn this? Um, just want to self-defense, I would think. Okay, that's cool. And you have the support of your family to do this. Cause yeah. I know that it, Okay, cool. That's that's good to know. Because sometimes, you know, it, it sucks if you have like a conflict of interest and they're like, well, we don't want you to be here. And then I will wind up taking away from your enjoyment and stuff. We don't we don't want that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of show you around the school here in a moment and kind of get you a feel for it. But before that, I kind of want to show you our class schedule. If you like class today and this is if this is something that you really want to do and continue to do. What days a week do you think you'd be able available to train? Mm, probably Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's pretty standard, right? Most people either train two to three times a week. That's pretty standard. That's awesome. And then so what's going to happen is uh, class is about to start. I'm going to go ahead and get you on the mat. I'm going to introduce you to one of our other instructors or one of our higher ranking students. And then they'll be your partner today and just kind of show you the ropes and get you a feel for how this is going to go. But once this is over, do me a favor and just meet me back over here at the front desk, the front counter. And then I'm going to show you about our first day specials. Okay. All right, cool. So do you know why you are probably 85% likely to sign up right now? Because I already want to. Oh, well, <laughs> no, not necessarily. People fuck that up a lot. Oh, sorry for the up on there. That's People okay. mess that up a lot. So there are something called five objections. When someone goes to sign up at your gym or your martial arts school, whatever it is, either way, you get five objections. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I have to think about it. I have to talk to my spouse or it's too far away. Mm. In our casual conversation, I broke down all of those walls already. It's not a hard sell. It's just the fact that I know that whenever it comes down to excuse time to why you don't want to sign up, I have to eliminate these. You can't tell me it's too far away because you just told me you were coming from your job. So your job can't be that far away. 
You can't tell me you don't have the time because you already said that you can commit three days a week. You already said that. You can't tell me you have to think about it because how long you've been thinking about it since UFC got popular. <laughs> so that's years, right? Yep. You can't tell me you have to talk to your spouse about this because you already told me that they have your full support, right? And mm -hmm. so the final thing is money, which is actually the easiest to get around is because if we actually build that up through phone calls up to the point where you actually walk in the door. But when it comes to money, I'm going to give you a better deal today than I will any other day that you ever come to sign up. Mm -hmm. So I'll have a registration fee. I'll eliminate that for you. So if the registration fee is $200, I'm waiving it for you today. So I just saved you 200 bucks. Right. If you paid to come in the door, like let's say you're doing a trial membership, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever it is. I'll tell you what, I'll take that membership and I'll put it towards your first month's payment. So rather than having to pay your first month and that, I'll just take it and put it right towards your first month's payment. And so in your mind, you're like, that's a great deal. But the truth is basically what you did was you got a free class, but you're still paying me in full. You just mm -hmm. paid me in sections. You paid me first yeah. for the, uh, the trial. And then now you're paying the remainder. So none of that involved what you were learning. Right. All right. of that had to do with how you were going to respond to what you were learning and how you're prepared to talk to me about money when it comes time to doing that. And people like hard sell sometimes, which is the dumbest thing to do. But at the end of the day, when you go to any martial arts program, your first day is almost always going to be identical. You're either going to learn a punch, a kick, a block, a throw, a submission. That's about it. <laughs> so you're not going to learn how to knock someone out with your mind on the first day. What they have to do in order to get you there is they have to um, groom you over a period of time mm -hmm. um, to kind of slowly but surely make you trust in them, which is another sales tactic, which is no yeah. like trust. So at the end of the day, it's not actually that hard to fool people. You know, yeah. it's actually really easy. Yeah. Well, I see that. And that was a, that was a cool exercise. It seems like, like what I see on your account and what you're, what you're talking about all the time, really two different things. Like that seems like a pretty high level sales uh, tactic and, and manipulation tactic that, that you could get from a sales job, or maybe that person has worked in the, I mean, that's very similar to what you might get when you go to a gym around, mm -hmm. let's say new year's day, right? Like you're going to get this, this, this sales thing and they're really, really good at it and they train and there's this whole industry around like building that and being very good at it. But then there's this other side of what, what I see on your account. And it's these people that are, I mean, maybe they did that, but it doesn't look like they're operating out of a, a really big dojo or gym or, or a big operation. It's these people that have, have this eight to 10, 12, 15 cult-like members, and they're doing things with their mind. They're doing things with, with little that, touches. I will, I will say something about that right there. That is a common misconception that these are very small oh. niches. That is not true. Um, so for instance, you can look up Dillman Karate International. So George Dillman's one of the most famous frauds in the martial arts industry who believes that you can knock people out by projecting energy at them or knocking them out with their mind. It's Dillman Karate International for a reason. Hmm. He has schools all over the world. He has gyms all over the world. There's also one called um, Hogan Karate International, which also is all over the world. They also believe in knocking people out with your mind. You also have um, Evan Pantazzi, who runs Kyoshu International, um, has schools all over the world. Um, so to think, and also their entire cultures, for instance, like in Indonesia, they believe in something called Tanaga Dalam. And Tanaga Dalam translates to inner power. And that entire country is 
like consumed with a lot of things like that. Now, obviously not everyone believes in that stuff, but when it becomes ingrained in your culture, then it kind of becomes something that you're brainwashed into as a child to right. grow up. Right. Like I've seen uh, a little kid slit his throat and kill himself because what? he believed that. Yeah. Eight year old child. Um, the stuff that you see on the page, by the way, is quite clearly the watered down version for a reason. Like one, Instagram would never let me show stuff like that. Right. Um, but two, it's also it's it's very mentally traumatizing to sit here and watch stuff like that constantly. Like um, that eight year old kid believed in Tanaga Dalam and believed that he could not be cut. But he wasn't old enough to understand that it's a parlor trick. The swords that the adults are using to do this are not sharp. And so but the kid did not know that picked up a real one. He was done. It spilled out. Um, I saw kids between the ages of eight to 13 laying down on the ground in a field in Indonesia while there was a truck, a giant diesel-sized truck, military-grade-sized truck, ran them over for a martial arts demonstration. And again, they believe in this inner power so much that they thought this truck would do no harm to the kids. Well, as soon as it landed off the, the ramp, they had one of those like wedge ramps. Mm-hmm. That truck comes off and it lands on the first kid and kills him. <sighs> and then it runs over the second and then the truck stalls out and it stalled while on top of this child. And you see the child's twitching. The other kid was dead immediately for sure. The third kid was smart enough. He dips out of the way and then it runs over the rest. Now, what minor injuries or injuries the other children sustained, I don't know. But I know for sure that it, that second kid where the truck stalled out, it took them forever to, to revive him. Wow, that's hard. And then the first kid was dead on the spot. But thousands of people watched this thinking that, oh, well, they have this inner power. No harm will be done. Mm-hmm. But that's because it's such a big deal. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is when I show stuff like this, people can't process that it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually more fascinating how people react to it. Because I know it's a real thing. I know these people exist. I know they're all over the world. But when you see one clip, you go, oh, they have to just be making that up. Right. Like that. No one's that dumb. Well, it's not necessarily that. It's a cult. Yeah. And when you remove the martial arts side from it and you look at it as a cult instead of a martial art, it starts opening your eyes a little bit more to the possibility of how people are being manipulated and taken care of. But it's not a small niche, right. I can tell you that. Well, it's not a small niche in, in anything. Like I remember when I was in high school, we had the good fortune of having this public speaker uh, come to our high school and his name was the amazing Randy. You might know who he is. Yeah. James um, Randy. OG. Yeah, James Randy. He came to my high school twice, two different uh-huh. times. And he did a faith healing um, exhibition there. And he was, it was when he was really going after these faith healers, which is not entirely different than what we're talking about. Like it's a group of people who have convinced a larger group of people that they can do things that are outside the realm of really of of possibility as we know it, right? So the faith sure. healers, what they would do is they would um, they would tell somebody, oh, you have a tumor, you have this medical condition, or someone would come to them, and probably just like the 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 little exercise that we went through, they're asking all these people all these things. Well, do you believe that this is going to happen? Do you do you have this tumor? Have you been told you have this tumor? Yes. So he they would lay them down on the on the table, and oh yeah, I feel that tumor. And amazing, Randy, he was a debunker. Like that was his, like, this is kind of what you do for a living, but he did it professionally before anybody else. And he would be on the tonight show and he would be on these other shows and he would just debunk anything. And he was really going after these faith healers. So he had to learn, like he was a magician by trade. So he understood like how these people were doing these tricks and he, he, 
learned how to do this magic trick, which was done with chicken parts and, and fake blood and sponges and all this stuff. And he could do it as well as they could. And he laid this guy down on the table and he's like, okay, you're perfectly healthy, but I'm going to pull a giant tumor out of your stomach. And in front of the whole school, he goes up there and he starts pulling these chicken parts out of this guy's stomach. The guy looks up, he's like, passes out. <laughs> like it, it was a really kind of a freaky thing. But then he was like, look, I did nothing. I didn't, there's no scar. There's nothing. This is all a trick. He showed us how it, how it was done. And it's really not all that different than, than what you're talking about. And the power of the mind um, to believe something is really astonishing, really. But, but there are like, there are, there have been like, like the Shaolin monks or something like that, right? Like they have, they can exhibit like they can stand on their hand on one one finger or two fingers and do some really amazing things that make you think, wow, their mind is really super strong, right? They have learned how to transcend uh, and do something that most other people can't, right? And there's probably some real legit things. I mean, you can just take it to, I don't know, any world champion can probably do some things that other people can't and they could attribute that to their mind. Like, where's the line there? Do you Do you ever think about that? Well, the line's pretty simple. It's all in honesty. That's where the line is. Uh, For instance, if you're a magician and you come to my table, like let's say I'm out and about and a a magician comes up and he's like, hey, can we, I show you some magic tricks? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, for sure, man. He does some magic tricks at your dinner table. Then he says, you know, if you'd like to drop a tip or whatever, that'd be appreciated. That's a lot different than when somebody is claiming divinity or Mm -hmm. some type of superpower or something like that. That's where the line is. It's, it's quite simple. So, for instance, you'll never see the Shaolin monks say that they can move objects with their mind. Right. right? That's right. not a thing. But what they might be doing, for instance, one of the more common ones is they'll have these monks like laying on top of spears, like and they'll carry them with the spears. Right. Well, half of that, yes, is very much a mental thing. But the other half of that is just basic science. <laughs> like a bed of nails yeah. doesn't hurt you. Why? Right. Well, it's because it's spread out over a, a, the surface area. Like if you were going to lay on one nail, yes, that would hurt yeah. really bad. Right. But a bed of nails doesn't hurt you. And so Randy did such a good job. And also somebody I look up to in the industry, rest in peace, by the way, he passed away about a year or two ago. Mm. Um, but he's somebody I've always looked up to as somebody who, He went after it in such a scientific way that he didn't really need to be an asshole. (laughs) Like he was just like, okay, show me, show me what you're doing. Okay. Well, I have a theory. All right. Here, here's my theory is like, if I do this, this, and this, you will not be able to do that. For instance, one of the most famous ones that he debunked was a guy named James Heydrich Mm. and James Heydrich was a Kung Fu expert, right? Well, the truth is, is that at that time, James Heydrich was, He's already admitted on a documentary that at that time he knew no martial arts whatsoever. (laughs) All he really would do was watch Kung Fu movies and replicate that. And but he had a school at one point that had over 3000 students. His school was literally in an airplane hangar. That's how big his classes were. Right. And this dude wind up going to jail because he molested five kids. Now, he did get a plea deal and he got put into a mental institution. Um, And so he's in a mental institution 
probably for the rest of his life now. Unfortunately, you know, I, I, I won't say necessarily, unfortunately, but for him, I, I know that that's probably not the plea deal he was looking for. Right. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, we interviewed him for our documentary and talked to him about some of the things that he would do. And half the battle was just spotting the mark spotting who would be more likely to fall for this than someone else. And you do that by asking, like, just like we did, by understanding people's responses, taking those responses and turning that into a belief structure. It's it's actually not that difficult to do. Uh, I can give you one more example. It's probably a little bit more famous. And everybody does this at least once or twice, right? <laughs> when you go to When you go to a grocery store, right? Grocery stores are set up very specifically. That's not an accident that grocery stores are set up the way that they are. That is very purposeful. You go on the outside ring of the grocery store, and that's where pretty much everything that you actually should be eating is, right? right? And then on the inside of those aisles is all the shit you probably shouldn't be eating, right? We yep. just we know that, that that's just how it is. There's a reason it's structured that way, right? But the other thing that you'll kind of notice is that when you go to check out, that's the real lie. That's the real con. Because you think it's your idea to pick up that piece of candy or buy that soda or get that magazine. The truth is, is that all of that stuff, minus the magazines, because sometimes grocery stores only have them there. But all of that stuff is put right there in front of you at checkout because they know you just got done walking around food and you might change your mind about wanting something right now. Mm -hmm. The truth is, is that you're paying way more. That one soda that you bought right there at checkout is probably what two two dollars fifty cents, if not more. You could have bought an entire case for five. Right. <laughs> so if it really was your idea, you would have bought the case, but it wasn't. It was someone else's. If you really wanted the candy, you could have gone in the store and bought the pack of candy for way cheaper than the one candy bar. But some genius figured out that if we just put it there, we can brainwash people and make them buy stuff without them even knowing it was our idea. Right. People still think it's their idea to pick that stuff up. You've been brainwashed. I'm sorry. That's just an advertising trick. Mm -hmm. It's a genius one at that. Uh, another example is look at how people yell at each other over politics. You know, like you people don't think that they're brainwashed in some way to say, you know what, how it used to be was you feel this way. I feel this way. And that's OK. We can have disagreements and still be human beings. We can have disagreements and still be friends. But then somewhere along that line, people don't realize that you, eventually you're being manipulated. Mm -hmm. If you're well, you're kicking friends, family out of your entire life because of one statement that they may have made online. Right. One right. sentence and right. people are kicking people out, blocking people. I no longer want to be associated with you. Right. Like you're telling me that up to this point, you didn't do that ever. But then all of a sudden now you're just starting to do that. Like well, those people still felt you know, that way. That, that, yeah. that happened. It's just happening with more frequency um, now with social media and, and the, the influence of social media, because you, social media is an echo chamber, man. Like you, you don't see a lot of other, unless you go out of the way to follow accounts that aren't necessarily what you believe, you're not getting served up that, that content you're not getting well, if you're a hardcore like, democrat you're not getting served up the, republican uh, content and the grand scheme of things though this isn't happening because people are following accounts they don't agree with or do agree with this is happening because they're following people they know right friends family and then they say one thing they don't like blocked i'm never speaking to you right again. that's the real con yeah. that's the real issue yeah you know yeah. you gotta you gotta talk about it i mean that that is the that is the the 
the way that we communicate is to talk about it and maybe understand. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm that way. I, a lot of my friends and I have very different, um, political views, very different. And it's, and it's actually fun to talk about it. Like, agreed. you know, agreed. it can I be, that, it can be, but we're already, <laughs> we're already, yeah. I mean, but me and my friends are already on this, um, on this level of, look, man, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you say. We're friends. We're always going to be friends. I may not like what you, I may not agree with what you say, but we're still going to be friends. I mean, we like to work out together. We like to fish together. We like to do some stuff together. That's not going to stop because you like, like something and I like something on the other side. Like that's Agreed. because you can still talk about it. And it, it yeah. that wasn't very long ago that that was very much the case. Exactly. And I think the, the major issue that you're having now, again, since we're on the subject of cults and brainwashing is that the time and I'm 36, right. I'm, I'm not sure how old you are, but 53 we grew up in a different, yeah. So we grew up in a different age, right. Mm-hmm. Like even as a kid for me, internet wasn't even really a thing. Right. Like the only people who really had internet, like could afford it kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then now everybody's got it. Right. Um, but you know, I think that kids growing up in, in an atmosphere very similar, like what we were talking about in Indonesia, right? And now, obviously, these are very dynamic differences, but they're still around the same thing, which is personal belief structure. And when it comes to like these cons and these frauds in the martial arts industry, get them young is a great thing. It's a mm-hmm. great slogan. And when you when you put out something so ridiculous so out there that people can't believe that it's even real. People still think the stuff I post are skits. <laughs> I still get people who think that people are posting these things just to get on my page. Like I'm telling you, they're not because <laughs> I get the death threats and I get the inbox messages and I get all the people hating on me from those cults. Hmm. But imagine if you put out something like that and no one did anything about it simply because it looked so ridiculous. Well, after a long period of time, Look at what happened to Indonesia. Now it's ingrained in their culture. No one really speaks out against it. Right. And the people who were speaking out against it weren't really doing that until recently. Like we're yeah. talking maybe in the last five years. And so now you're getting this group of people who were starting to question and ask, like, why do you believe this? And how can this possibly be real? What's but- also what's also interesting is there's never been an Indonesian UFC champion. Like using, uh, well, using these tactics. So I don't know. Maybe there has been an Indonesian UFC champion, but not using those tactics. Of course. Like, because not, you know, some of my favorite arguments too are like, well, pressure points aren't legal in MMA. Like, yes, they are. If <laughs> yeah. you wanted to poke someone in the arm, you could, you can like, poke them in the arm all yeah. you want. You can do it in amateur wrestling too. You can, you can <laughs> do pressure points on work. wherever you want. Yeah. Like that's one of the big excuses that a lot of those guys make is like, Oh, they're illegal. So you're like, no, they're not. You can actually do that. And like they're fingerless gloves. So you can't even blame it on the gloves. Like, right. Oh, well, I can't get in there deep enough. Like, like, dude, it just doesn't work. It's okay to admit it just doesn't work. But right. then if they admit that, then they don't get paid and the con is over. So they have to double down on crazy. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's a crazy world. It's so, it's such a weird thing. People thought I'd run out of content like years ago. Well, like I don't. you know, it seemed like that's where I, one of the places I wanted to go with this is it seemed like maybe you would have run out of content years ago because like, that's kind of what the UFC was 
invented for like which style is best it used to be like the be- the boxer or the wrestler the karate guy or the or or the judo guy or the you know any which way you want to slice it like which would be better and you would have you would have proponents and and followers of each style saying no nah, man uh you know a boxer's gonna kill a wrestler and 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 a, a karate guy's gonna gonna you know destroy a jiu-jitsu guy and then it was a real thing where you had all these people like UFC one, man, I used to have the tape. You have a sumo wrestler in there. You've got a giant, you know, 400 pounder. You've got 170 pound hoist Gracie. You've got, you know, Ken Shamrock. You've got all these people, some legit, some very one dimensional and who comes out on top is, is Gracie jujitsu, you know? And it was a very, very interesting thing. Um, and it seemed like that's where, this would kind of be settled. And then as the UFC becomes more and more mainstream, now you can see like, yeah, Taekwondo absolutely works. There's some Taekwondo. I mean, look at, look at Wonder Boy. He uses it great. He's great at it. And it shows that if you want to learn a spinning back kick really well, it's going to work. It'll probably work on just about anybody, not every single time, but it will work. And so does boxing and so does wrestling and so does jujitsu and so does, you know, uh, judo and, and, and all of these things. And now you have these guys that are, that are taking a little bit from each style and creating the MMA style. And it just seems like no one is using the death touch and it would just be so easy to see that, like no one is, is doing Tai Chi in there. And, and another interesting (laughs) Uh, this is another interesting path you're going down as well, which is like, well, how could people possibly believe this in the age we're at? Right. We have the age of the internet. We have hardcore proof, right? Like with MMA, um, it, it's it's a fascinating thing because if you actually look at some of their arguments, I can see how they're, they can manipulate people. Like for instance, they're like, well, you know, you can't bite or eye gouge or any of that stuff. Like, yeah, but you can't either. <laughs> like you don't just go into the gym and just start poking each other in the eye. Right? right. Like that's not something that you train for. You don't go into the gym and just start grabbing each other by the hair and biting each other on the face. Right. Like, and you don't need training to know how to do that, which is the ultimate thing, right? All <laughs> this, I just, I just kick him in the nuts. Like right. I, as a bouncer, as someone who bounced for quite a long time, I can tell you kicking people in the nuts is a hit or miss. Sometimes you can kick someone in the nuts and they drop like a sack of potatoes. And sometimes you kick them in the nuts and they just look at you and keep coming. And you're like, oh, so like (laughs) it's a funny thing. Like, oh, I just poke him in the eye. You know, he could do that too, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like I just bite him. You will. If you take out the rules, he will also bite you. Like you have to under, like, I think people think that in MMA, for instance, that those rules will stick with that fighter outside of the ring or the cage. They don't like they don't like, it becomes a much different beast when you take a trained professional fighter and you let them off the leash than the leash being the rule set. Mm-hmm. And you take somebody who doesn't know how to fight whatsoever, doesn't understand basics of jujitsu, doesn't understand positioning, timing, distancing, doesn't spar, doesn't work on all of these things that are necessary to create a better fighter. But you know what? They can beat you because they can eye gouge you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like the other guys not going to do the same thing to you. Like that's the big fantasy is that these people are hiding behind the mysticism of it all. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's very much like this, this beautiful thought. It's a really cool thought to think that maybe we do have this possible supernatural ability inside of us. It's a cool thought, right? And there are people like you were talking about the Shaolin monks who can tap into something. There was a, 
a picture in a book when I was in uh, middle school. And I highly doubt that's in books now, but it was of a, a monk who set himself on fire and mm. sat in, I don't know if you remember this very famous photo, but he sat Indian style, took a gas can, poured gasoline all over himself and lit himself on fire. And he laid, he sat there in silence, silence ignited and killed himself in mm-hmm. protest. Right. Yes. Like that's a very powerful thing in someone's head to be able to light yourself on fire and not freak out, not scream, not run away, but just sit there and slowly burn. Yeah. Right. But the but thing, but the sense. little bit different thing about that is everybody knew he was going to die. Right. <laughs> like he didn't defy that. He might've, uh, of defied the, the, oh, the, that would the, be a magic trick. Yeah. I mean, like it's one thing to, to, to be so determined that you're not going to show pain or you're not going to get up or you're not going to move and you're just going to sit there and die. I mean, that's, that's cool. But you didn't defy the one thing that like everybody was like, if you pour gasoline well, on yourself and you light yourself on fire, you're probably going to die. Like, and that's exactly what happened. He just did it in a very stoic way. And, and he did tap into something like yeah, for sure. you try it, set your hand on fire and see if you don't go screaming yeah. and put, yeah. try to I was throw it in the toilet. An example. Right. But at the end of the day, a lot of these guys use pseudoscience mm. in order to hide behind what they're doing. For instance, like uh, the pressure point knockout stuff, right? The what's really the base of that is called Kyoshu Jitsu, right? K-Y-U-S-H-O, Kyoshu. Kyushu, however you want to pronounce it, mm-hmm. right? Somebody on, I'm, I'm sure there'll be somebody listening to this. <laughs> That's not how you say it. Yeah, uh, I could get you with cares? it in a minute. It's you don't like, even know how to say it. <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Can't pronounce it. Um, but yeah, like, so they hide behind the pseudoscience, right? And they say like, well, for instance, one of the, the points is called spleen six, which is like located somewhere around your ankle, right? In the area. Obviously, I don't teach bullshit for a living, so I don't know exactly where it is, but it's in that area. Right. And so there'll be people who who hit that spot and knock someone unconscious and they'll be like, well, the reason is, is because acupuncture charts show that the meridian lines run this way. And if I put my energy into it and if your intent does this and if you notice a lot of these things that I show. Like there's before you actually see these people do it, there's usually like a five to 10 minute explanation, mm. which is almost like a guiding thing oh, yeah. to the person who it's getting. For done sure. To. Like, like this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And then the like power of the mind takes choke. over. <laughs> you know, a rear naked choke. I don't have to do that. A rear naked choke. I can go, this is it. Squeeze. They tap. And then I explain it afterwards. I don't have to go. Well, you see what's going to happen is I'm going to put this here and this here. And then all of a sudden I squeeze and the blood's going to do the Like I can show the technique. After you see the technique, then I can explain why it works and how it works yeah. with things like that. It doesn't ever work that way mm-hmm. because you haven't given the other guy the cue of how he should be reacting. Right. And so it's a very big part of the brainwashing, too. It's like, well, if you see when I hit him here, he'll, he's going to go out. Right. And then it's that guy's cue to know, OK, when I get hit like this, that's when I'm supposed to go out. And very much like a cult, they have to make a decision in that moment. Do I somebody who's been in that art for years, called this person a father figure and a mentor, uh, been around all of these people who I now call family. And I spend all my waking moments here and I train here and I live this and I spread it. Do I go with it and continue the bullshit and get to keep all of those things, my Mm -hmm. friends and my bonds and all that? Mm -hmm. Or do I get ostracized and excommunicated because I didn't go with it? And I lose all those years of training and I lose those friends and I lose that, uh, that family structure and that bond. Right. Because that's the options. And that's how it works with a cult. Mm-hmm. You think the moment like you go to like the Mormon church and all of a sudden you go, hey, I, just, I don't I don't buy, buy that part. Like they've been known to excommunicate people for just not believing one part. Right. Or Scientology. 
Like you know, Scientology is a really big one like that. For sure. Um, and I'm not sitting here downing. Obviously, I'm sure there are some great Mormons out there. I'm sure there are some people out there who are good people who believe in that. Right. I'm not downing for, for sure. Individuals, but I am saying that it is a fact that people have been excommunicated for not believing even small portions of religions or uh, cults. And then their entire life that was built around this thing is now gone and right. they have to re you know, that's a scary thing for a lot of people. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people will seek out whether it's um, martial arts or or church or um, I don't know, CrossFit these days because of the community aspect that goes along with it. And then the thought of losing that is is way worse than calling out this fraud like it it becomes pretty obvious but then there's there's another psychology that i find interesting when i watch the videos is like the psychology of the of the master so-called master himself um and in a lot of cases like there was this dude the other day sitting on a couch and he was using nothing but his feet and people were coming at him with a knife about this fast. And he yeah. was doing these things with his feet, which I watched him do it over and over and over again. And I'm like, well, I, got, I mean, that's not going to stop a knife. But I got to say, it's very practiced. It's very precise. He's doing the same move to the same arm every time. He has practiced this as much as someone else has practiced a double leg takedown in, in, in amateur wrestling or something else. And you watch someone's movement and you're like, damn, he's practiced that a lot. Like that is crisp. It is sharp. It's worthless. But it is, I mean, it's almost like, like a, uh, like even in, in regular Taekwondo, when you learn these forms and you're, you're doing these forms up against no one, and they're supposed to be designed to, to simulate a fight. Like you're supposed to have three attackers around you in the basic forms. You do these things and you're supposed to be, um, kind of in visualizing or, or visualizing that you have these three attackers and you're going to do two punches this way. And you're going to turn and do two punches this way. You're going to throw a kick this way. You're going to do all these different things. And it's a form and it's designed to teach you movement and all of this stuff. It's not actually designed to fend off three attackers, right? It's like, it's a, it's a practice. It's no different so than, than something, that's... someone in wrestling, just practicing a takedown a hundred times. So what you're describing in karate would be called bunkai. So like in kata, you're typically kicking or punching the air. Now, not every martial art does that. Some martial arts call kata <laughs> like this is the tricky thing. It's all terminology and semantics, basically. But even judo has katas, mm -hmm. um, but it's with another partner. So mm -hmm. in karate, you wouldn't call that a kata. You call that unkai, the application, right? How it applies to what you're doing. And that's another way that a lot of these frauds can kind of get away with it is bunkai is up to interpretation. So I might learn, for for instance, in karate, you might learn a kata from one instructor mm -hmm. and he'll say, this is a block. And then you'll go to another instructor, say, that's not a block. He goes, it's an overhook. And then I'm wrenching the person's arm and mm -hmm. their shoulder. Well, like the block doesn't make a lot of sense, but the overhook to wrench the person's shoulder that well, that's used quite often. That's actually a legit technique. Mm -hmm. Would I ever be able to block this way very well? Probably not well. You know, would mm -hmm. you be able to do it like maybe once out of 10 times? Maybe if you're lucky, but the over the over overhook thing, the application is just different. So right. you'll get instructors who will, who will take this kata and they'll say, well, right here, this would actually be us hitting this pressure point. Mm. <laughs> or like somebody else would be like, well, that's, that's nonsense. <laughs> that's yeah. Ridiculous. And then another, and then another instructor would be like, this is all 
nonsense. It just shows me that you've learned the style of throwing the punch that I'm teaching and you've learned this kick and you've learned how to apply it with movement. And therefore I'm going to give you your yellow belt because you've, ex- yeah, you've, a you've, you've, understanding yes. and a, a deeper yeah. connection. But, with the but like, like the guy that I took Taekwondo from, I mean, he's like, yeah, you're never going to use that again. We're going <laughs> to spar now and you may use pieces of this, but mm. that's not, I mean, this is just an exhibition. This just shows that you can apply these things in a form setting. And it's basically just a formality to get a belt. Yeah. And what's really interesting in the martial arts industry is a lot of people say kata is just kind of bullshit. But these same people who say kata is bullshit are the same people who shadow box. Mm. It's like, well, this is punching and kicking in the air. Right. And this is punching and kicking in the air. Right. They're the same thing. The only difference is, is that one is showing you a like different type of techniques mm-hmm. Whereas everything in shadow boxing is just striking, right? There is like, there's no submissions in that. There's no takedowns in that. Typically you don't like see people shadow boxing. Well, you see people like, shadow wrestling all the time. Like, like that's yeah, how you like get ready for, for the, Yeah. The, I mean, you double leg or yeah, sprawl, and some people like, like will that, do that right? for 30 minutes by themselves. Just so just doing it's that. kind of a funny thing, a nuance in martial arts where they'll be like, this is bullshit. Well, mm-hmm. why you're doing the same bullshit over here. Right. The only difference it's is you're using the implication techniques. and the, yeah. and what the instructor's telling you that it is like if he's exactly. telling you that the, takes you to a different cat. level, a different level of, of, of existence, because you can do this, then watch out. If he's telling you, this is just a formality. I'm going to show you how to actually do it later when we're sparring and you're getting your bell rung. Um, but you know, different, but what we, what I was saying about that is, uh, was that like, I watched that guy on the couch and I'm watching his feet and like, he's good with his feet. He's really practiced that. And if he had practiced something that actually works, He'd be really good at it, but there's a psychology going on in his head that this actually would stop a knife and I've got 10 people to prove it. Like, do you think that those guys that are, that are leading those things at some point, they got to start believing their own bullshit, right? Like they, they absolutely have to believe it. I mean, there, there could probably be some people out there that are, that are fraudulent and they're just like, I I know this is fake and I've got all these people fooled and I'm, I'm, I'm driving the car I want to, and I'm living in the house I want to, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But then there's others that truly think, and you can even see it like on YouTube and it's probably been on your channel where I see it, but you'll see like a, like a, a, a an instructor that claims he's got all these special powers and he'll fight a, a amateur wrestler or he'll fight a UFC guy. And it is sad. And, and it's like a lion attacking a gazelle that this guy steps out there and he thinks he's not going to, he's going to be able to stop this amateur wrestler from, from messing with him. And he punches him in the face and does a double leg takedown through the freaking wall. And the guy can't believe it. And he's looking and he's bleeding and he can't believe it. None of his students can believe it. Like that's a guy that believed what he was doing. I think. Mm. Well, Sorry, you actually touched on a lot of things all at once. So you touched on like seven different subjects. My mind is going crazy uh, with this thing. Well, so first, I'll touch on the last thing that you said first, which was about these fake martial artists who were really believing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the example that you're actually giving is a guy named Xu Dong, And Xu Dong is in China. And over there, Kung Fu is actually kind of an important thing. Mm -hmm. It's a part of their culture. Yes. But you have to also remember that it's an import export, right? Like Kung Fu movies Mm -hmm. and the uniforms, right? It's a whole deal there. So when you have a guy like Xu Dong basically going, that's bullshit. And then somebody goes, well, 
I know it isn't like, yes, that person is truly that delusional because obviously they really thought that they could do this to someone. And then he just cold cocks them once in the first round and they get knocked unconscious or, you know, they, and then he's showing like the world look like this is bullshit. Yeah. This is another thing about calling out frauds that I think is extremely important for people to know is that Xu Dong is ostracized in China. Like they have something there called the social credit score. And the social credit score is quite literally how you are in simple terms, basically how you're perceived by the world. And so how your social credit score is actually will determine whether or not you can buy a home, whether or not you can take a certain uh, train, whether or not you're even allowed to leave the country. Um, And it's very creepy, but his social credit standing was like a D or something like that. Right. And so he's not allowed to leave the country. He can't get on the bullet train to get from point A to point B. Like he is basically being isolated by the Chinese government because he's basically ruining their culture in a way. Um, On the other hand, we all call him a hero because he's doing the right thing and he continues to do the right thing. And he, he he's an interesting dude because he never once is saying like he's doing it for like a cause or a purpose. Like he just does it because he thinks it's what he should be doing. That's Mm -hmm. it. Like he's not trying to make a movement or anything, but he did such a good job of this. The Chinese government literally made it illegal. It is illegal in China to call yourself a master unless you get approval by the Chinese government. Hmm. And that is specifically because of Xu Xiaodong, because he was beating up all these masters. Well, now if he does beat one up, he can basically the Chinese government can deny that that dude ever had any legitimacy to begin with. I'm like, yo, we, we didn't tell him he was a master. He didn't get approval from us. And so it's a pretty crazy thing. Now, in terms of them believing it, it starts off with the psychology of someone actually joining the cult to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talked to three different psychologists during our documentary, and one of the psychologists, literal like um, field of expertise, I guess you could say, was martial arts cults, which was fascinating to find one, but we did <laughs> Um, and she said, one, anybody could fall victim of a cult for anyone who doesn't think that you can fall victim of a cult. You are the most likely to fall victim of a cult, mm. um, mostly because psychologically, if you've already been bitten once, you're aware that that could happen to you. So you take more precautions for it not to happen. Right. If you have never been taken advantage of or at least noticed that you haven't been taken advantage of, then what happens is that you kind of like let the walls down. You're like, you're never going to fool me. Well, those are the people that are actually the easiest to fool. The other thing was, is that the people who are more likely to fall into these cults are people who are well-educated and have money. Um, And what happens is, is like if you're in school from kindergarten until college and you wind up getting a doctorate or you wind up becoming an architect or you wind up going to school for a very long period of time, when you're out of school, you knew school. School was a part of your life, your entire life. And so you go seeking other education. You go seeking to better yourself or you go seeking the the retreats. You go to the Tony Robbins seminar, right? Those people aren't poor that go to those seminars. Mm -hmm. They're going because they're trying to better themselves. Well, you might be in that mode where you're like, man, I want to better myself. And all of a sudden here comes this guru and he's got it for you, whether it be Bikram or whether it be, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a cult like a Koresh doesn't matter. That person's there giving you what you're looking for at that moment. And they're a professional at it. So you've never been taken advantage of before. So you don't believe you could fall victim of a cult. You are well-educated. So you feel like you're smart enough to not fall victim of a cult and you have a lot of money. So you figured, you know what? I want to spend it on what makes me happy. And this individual thing makes me happy. Poor people don't typically fall victim of cults. They can't Mm -hmm. afford it. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. How do you do you think well, a maybe, does it maybe they're also not not recruited because of that? <laughs> like the cult wants your money. Like sure. they want you to give up all your worldly possessions eventually. I mean, many do. Uh, and and if they if you don't have any, then they're not going to spend the kind of time on you that they might with somebody else who drives up in a Lamborghini. And like, look at uh, there's a great documentary called Wild Wild Country. I saw that. It's on, yeah, it's a great documentary. Yeah. Those people had lawyers. They had doctors, they had architects, they built an entire city. That cult built a city. Those people were very well educated, very well paid. They had tons of funding, enough to build a city <laughs> on their own. Like that wasn't outsourced. They did it. And so like it always blows my mind when people call these people idiots. That's not necessarily true. These are victims who just happen to be in that frame of mind and all the right circumstances hit. Now, in terms of whether or not the instructor believes it, if the instructor believes it, he might not believe it at first, mm. right? He might know it's a con at first, but I call this Steven Seagal syndrome. So Steven Seagal started off as a martial arts instructor. That mm-hmm. was his job. He mm-hmm. taught Aikido. He was very well known for Aikido. That was his thing. He happened to be teaching like a producer or director at the time. And the guy looks at him and goes, you'd be great in a movie. I got a movie. I'd like you to be in it. And so he starts that. Well, then that starts building on his ego. You're famous. Everybody knows you. Everybody loves you. Then you start getting a lot of yes men around you. All these people who won't say anything bad about you in front of you because they want to ride those coattails of success and fame. So they want to be that yes, get whatever you need. That's perfect. You know, that was so good when you hit me in the chest like that, (laughs) man, you know what? They say that you raped those women or you sexually uh, molested those women at those auditions. But you know what? We, we don't believe that. We think that you're still good, right? And so all of these bad things he keeps doing, right? Like assaulting actors or molesting women or harassing women sexually, right? So he keeps doing all of these things, but then he's surrounded by all these people who want to piggyback off his fame. And so when they keep telling you, you can do no wrong, when they keep kissing your ass to the point where your ego is so inflated, yeah, eventually you do start to believe it. Hmm. You do start to think, man, I can't knock somebody out with my mind. Man, you know what? I am that good. Right. But you basically are now hit with this cognitive dissonance eventually, which is, am I really that good or do I double down? And the moment you double down, it's over. You just you are so far gone at that point that, yes, you might believe that you can turn invisible like a sheet of Kim. Uh, you might believe that you can dodge bullets like a sheet of Kim. You might believe that you can touch somebody and kill them within three days like Evan Pantazzi or George Dillman. Right. So. I think that they probably don't necessarily start that way most of the time, but Hmm. eventually over a long period of basically the cult makes the leader at that point. So one of the things that's kind of interesting at this point in the conversation is that you and I both have had great um, uh, benefits from martial arts, from wrestling, from karate, from what, whatever martial art your jujitsu in your case. And, and I'm sure you've been in it long enough that you've had some, some great success. And, and there are so many amazing things about martial arts. And, and I think that everybody should train in, in some form of martial art. How, when, when you see this level of fraud and this level of, of manipulation, how does someone that does legitimately want to get their child into martial arts or, or to do it themselves, or just like our, my, in my, uh, um, uh, example earlier of just saying, yeah, I, I watched the UFC. It looks badass, man. I want to learn how to do that. Like, 
where do you go from there? How do you find a reputable um, person to learn from? Oh, well, that's uh, first. I think that the first thing you need to know, whether it's for yourself or your child, is what's the goal? The average martial artist drops out at about a year, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So like that's average. Most people are going to quit within a year, year and a half. So what are you going to get out of that year, year and a half? That's the most important question ever you could ask yourself. And I think if more people did ask themselves that question, they'd probably stay longer. Um, because I think that people want to chase this black belt or they want to chase the, the stripe or they want to chase the tournament win. Those are cool. And maybe that is your goal. Um, but those aren't really tangible. Those aren't as good because you'll get that and it'll go away. And then what? Right. So setting yourself clear, attainable goals is step one. The next is almost every martial arts school offers a trial class. So what you should do, whether it be paid or free, doesn't really matter because I think they're both viable because I do believe that martial arts instructors should be paid for their time. And if they're doing a trial class, they should be paid for that. That's just my opinion. Um, but whether you go to a free trial or a paid trial, go to a lot of them. Take a month, right? And pick two classes a week that you'd like to go to in the area. So that'll give you like eight different schools that you can look and say, well, this was karate and this was judo and this was jujitsu. And uh, well, I kind of like the, ju the judo one. All right, cool. Well, what I'll do with when I find the art that fits my goal is then I'll take that and I'll find out what other judo schools are in town. Then I'll take those trial classes on the next month. Now I found the school that meets my needs and I'm happy to go to. That's what you need. Hmm. Taking that time to really process why are you going and who do you want to learn from? Who is going to be best suited to meet your goals? And then the final one is, are you having fun doing it? No one watches season three, episode four of a show that sucked ass on the pilot <laughs> episode. No one does that, right? No one. People walk out of movie theaters all the time. Why would you subject yourself to something that you hate? Because eventually that's going to show one, you're never going to practice it. So you're not going to get better because you don't like it. And then two, you're going to dread even going. So you'll eventually find an excuse or a reason not to show up. Yeah. So finding a place that meets your goals, making sure that once you find that style, that's going to meet those goals, find the right instructor for you in that style. And then after that, make sure that you're continuing to set yourself new goals. So that way you can stay fresh and you can keep enjoying it and having fun with it. Man, that is almost the exact same advice I give to people that are asking me, how do I start working out? Um, almost exactly because it, and, and really it should be fun. It should be something that is a life enhancer that, that is not, that doesn't create a lot of problems at home. Like that you, uh, it's not so far out of the way that it's messing you up in some way. Like that's almost exactly the same advice just for working out, whether that's, you know, for, for learning a martial art or, or just getting back in shape, which you could do both at the same time. You could get back in shape taking martial arts. Um, and, and I tell people that too, like that's, that is, if that's what you have fun with and that's what you want to do, then that'd be awesome. Do that. It's the same thing when you're like with anything though, if you want to teach someone to read, for instance, right. You don't make them read the most boring book on the planet right off the bat. If they want to learn how to read and they love comic books, give them a damn comic book. Right. They want to read and they love graphic novels. Give them one. If they like pop-up books, who cares? Give them a pop-up book. And if it helps them, encourage them to read, and it's fun for them. Let them do it that way. We all, I think martial artists like this cookie cutter version of people. And like we think that, well, just because you're doing the art that I'm not doing means it's bullshit. Right. That's almost never the case. It has nothing to do usually with the art. It has to do with the person's personal goals. And if they're enjoying it and they're reaching their goals, 
then who are who am I or anyone else to say like that's ridiculous? Right. Now, right. where I draw the line is when the instructor is lying to you. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest one. When when they start coming out with like they start breaking one of the five rules of the page, like I have no mercy on them. Well, I'm tell not me, tell us again what the five rules of the page are. Uh, one is uh, no pedophiles. Okay. So uh, martial arts industry is rampant with pedophilia. It's something I post about almost, I could post about pedophiles in the martial arts almost every day. Um, It is ridiculous, mostly because there's no regulating body. And so now in jujitsu, for instance, there's this big movement of all these instructors who were covering up sexual abuse. After the fight sports thing recently? Yeah, that's one of them. But yeah, um, that, but that's nothing new to me. <laughs> like right. uh, when this, but hit, that, that's like, a, that's such an important one because that's, that's people that people have heard of. And that's, that's like, I mean, I don't, you don't have to be a, a, a deep insider to, to have heard of fight sports or to understand who, you know, know those people's names or something. So that sure. one, that one, um, that gets a lot more attention because, because of that. And, and a lot more things will probably be done because of that. Don't you think like mm-hmm. when, when some high profile person is involved in that, that's, that's a little more, I don't know. Well, it, it grabs the news a little bit more. I think that people in the martial arts industry love to look at things in the most positive light as, as possible. And it's almost like a willful, willful ignorance. Um, how martial arts is, how martial artists typically operate now is I'm going to worry about my people and I'm going to do the best that I can for my people. And anything going on outside of this in the martial arts community has nothing to do with me. And I don't even need to step mm-hmm. in to stop it. That is the stupidest shit I've ever fucking heard in my life. That The equivalent of that is saying that if you go to, let's say, an office building, right? And each floor of that office building is a different martial art. You have karate on first floor, taekwondo on second floor, and so on and so on. And you go, I'm jujitsu. Karate stupid, Taekwondo stupid, nothing else works except for what I do. I'm not going to worry about those guys, right? And then you walk in every day and the building itself is martial arts and you look over and there's an arsonist trying to set the building on fire. And you go, you know what? I'm going to ignore that guy. I'm just going to go up and I'm going to work with my people and I'm going to do the best that I can to make my people the best they can be. And that's a beautiful fantasy. You can live in that fantasy all you want, but eventually that asshole is going to set this building on fire. And guess what? You're in that building Mm. and you had the opportunity to stop it. And you just chose to ignore it because of this. I don't know what it would be. This wolf, the self entitlement to think that you're holier than thou. The truth is, is that we should stop things when we see them. You know, like if if we see someone getting molested, we should probably try to say something about that. If we see somebody being abused, we should say something about that. For instance, there was a kid in, uh, in a judo class. It was his second judo class ever. And he got thrown so many times by the instructor while his uncle watched, by the way, that that kid died. What? He was put in a coma. Oh, yeah. I do these stories all the time. If you ever look at our YouTube, the, they, they come up. By the instructor? The instructor. I mean, maybe I could see that. another student or something, but not the oh, instructor. Well, the, the, the instructor also had other students throw this child, but the child was complaining of everything that would be the sign of a concussion. He felt nauseous. He had a headache. He didn't feel very well. And so they just kept tossing this kid, throwing him over and over and over again. It's a second class. And he died while the uncle watched because he thought, yo, like the instructor has to know what he's doing, Right. If wow. you see something and you do nothing about it, you are just as bad. In my opinion, you are just as bad, if not worse. 
like you're allowing this like and i'm obviously i'm saying you i'm i'm not speaking right. to you directly right. but these people are allowing this stuff to just flourish in the martial arts industry by simply turning a blind eye to it pretending that it doesn't exist it does it exists all the time and mostly because of the cowards out there who were saying well if i just worry about my students and my school then we're just gonna let them worry about their stuff and we're gonna be great that's not how this is going to work what what's gonna happen is the martial arts industry is gonna get this black eye it's gonna be tarnished and it's gonna make people not want to train and all because well you're gonna worry about your people that's great worry about your people but that's a coward move that's what cowards do yeah Interesting. So what would you, what would you suggest that they do? How do they get involved? What do they do? What we're doing now, mm. say something. Yeah. It's very simple. If you see something that's not right, you should be speaking out against it. Um, and the industry, and obviously there are certain nuances, like people are going to be like, well, this guy voted for this guy. Well, that's fucking personal preference, man. I'm talking about major things. I'm talking about if somebody's getting molested. So back to the five rules, by the way, um, you know, so you're breaking if these people are breaking any one of these five rules. You should probably be speaking out. For instance, if there's a pedophile running a martial arts school and you know <laughs> this, you should let people know yeah. it's not that hard. Right. But the next one is uh, shady business practices. So there are people who wind up getting ripped off, conned, defrauded all the time. We had an instructor here in my town who would go door to door and strong arm people for money if they were late on payment. That's a shady business practice. Hmm to threaten people with physical harm if they didn't pay up on time, right? Um, and that's a drop in the bucket. Like you can also get things like, um, you know, hidden fees and shit like that. Like all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, oh, well, it's going to cost me a hundred bucks a month. And then you get the bill and it's 250 bucks a month. And you mm -hmm. go, that wasn't the agreement. Yeah. And then when you try to get out of the contract, then they sue you and take the money anyway. Mm. Um, and so it, it could be pretty, pretty gross. Um, the next one is uh, unsafe training practices or cult-like behavior. For instance, we just talked about that kid who died after being thrown so many times. That's an unsafe training practice. Yeah. There are so many people who hide behind this we're tough mentality when they just are abusing people. Mm -hmm. It's just abuse. And you can call it martial arts if you want, but that's not what it is. It's abuse. And uh, where does the line, where should that line be drawn with the individual? If you have a fighter who's getting ready for a fight, obviously you're going to treat him just a little differently than somebody who's just a day-to-day -day student. And so I think it's important that you understand as an instructor where that line is. Mm -hmm. The cult-like behavior part of that is if you're telling your students what they can and cannot do outside of your gym, you're running a cult. You're a cult leader. Well, what if you're telling them, I, I mean, uh, there's, there is some... I mean, all you got to do is watch by the, the way, Karate before Kid. You even say it, before you even say it, you're about to say suggestions. Well, no. Okay. Well, I mean, but you, you know, I mean, like part of the thing that you're teaching in, in martial arts, a lot of times is discipline and, and, and ethics and stuff like that. And one of the first things that, that my karate or Taekwondo instructor said is you don't use this outside. We don't, we don't fight outside of the, of the gym. You never wear your belt in public. You never do these things. Maybe that's a suggestion. Maybe that's what that's you're a saying, suggestion. but that was, those because were his hard and fast rules. Note, just like I guarantee you at the same note, He'd probably tell you to defend yourself. If somebody oh, of course he would. Of course he so would. So that's a suggestion, yes. right? So at the end of the day, the what by telling you what to do and what not to do is something like you're not allowed to go train at another gym mm. other than mine. That will now you're controlling their environment, right. and that's what right. cults do. Or you're not allowed to take advice or speak to so and so. 
<laughs> right. That's a suggestion or not. That that's, that's a cult like thing to do. Right. You can't speak to this person. Mm. That's a cult. And so that's what I mean by that. Not a suggestion like, Hey man, go and get some exercise in. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, of course you should be doing that any damn way. Or, Hey, how about go, go, you know, like I suggest like once or twice a week, why don't you go ahead and go run? Mm-hmm. You know, I, that might help you with your cardio in here. That's much different than somebody telling you what you cannot do. Right. Uh, right. You cannot do this. Well, that's bullshit. You can't tell me what I can and can't do. I'm paying for a service and the service is a martial arts instructor. Take that same thought, right? And apply it to absolutely any job ever. Would you ever listen to your plumber? If your plumber was like, yo, you can't hire any other plumbers, but me. Yeah. Well, right? real, real estate people do that all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> you can't a buy plumber. a house for anybody else ever for the, for <laughs> yeah, the right? length or, of... I, I haircut. If yeah. you like, yeah, man, like I was out of town and I got my haircut over there. They'd be like, yeah, you can't come back here anymore. Right. Why not? Well, you got your haircut somewhere else. Why don't you go back to them? Like, well, well, what? they messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm back to you. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? That's a cult. Um, yeah. The next one is uh, obviously no touch knockouts, which is very clear. But the second part of that is mislabeling technique. So, for instance, if you go to like a cardio kickboxing class and you're there for cardio kickboxing and the person tells you that you're going to be the greatest street fighter or kickboxer ever, that's mislabeling a technique. They are mislabeling what they're teaching you. And it's not doesn't do you any good. That's a false sense of security and get you hurt. Mm -hmm. If you're learning acrobatic kicking, which looks great. A lot of stunt performers do it. It's beautiful, right? That's stunt work. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Do it. Have fun. But the moment they try to tell you that that's self-defense, it's a lie. That's it's for show. It's for doing something that's entertaining, not the mm-hmm. other way around. So, and then um, I, I'm trying to remember what we talked about so far: pedophiles, shady business practices, cult-like behavior, um, unsafe training practices, and cult-like behavior. Um, no, oh, and then the final one: lying about belt rank or fight record. Mm-hmm. If someone's willing to lie to you about their belt rank or their fight record, they will be lying to you a lot. <laughs> that's not going to be the only lie. So if they say, yeah, man, I was undefeated kickboxer, uh, did all this. All right. Well, like, and then you find out they didn't, you should be very concerned about anything that they ever taught you. Right. Um, Because they started off the conversation with a lie, because usually the first thing you do when you introduce yourself to your instructor or they introduce themselves to you, you talk a little bit about the history and what they've done. Um, And so they lied to you right off the gate there. That's a huge red flag. You should run. Mm-hmm. What and and especially like people might might uh, lie about legacy. Like that's a big thing. Like I got my black belt from this person, or I got you know I, I trained under this person for a long time, and then and that's that's really a legitimate legitimacy kind of thing. Like if somebody trained over under Hicks and Gracie for you know twenty years, and now he's opening his own school, well, it's probably a pretty good place. Like you know, like that's that's a good legacy. Right. Um, Where where you might have somebody that that lies about that or you find out that that's not true, then that's what you're saying. Like, run. Yeah. The (laughs) the lineage thing is one of the bigger lies and cons in the industry where somebody says they trained under so and so when all they really did was like go to a seminar and take a picture with them. Uh, Um, It's like, yeah, well, you did technically train with them. So that's not a lie. But you didn't train under them. You (laughs) for 20 years with them. Like once, you know, like you met them 
yeah. then that was it. <laughs> so, yeah. well, but with that, I could say that I wrestled for Dan Gable because I went to one one uh, wrestling <laughs> camp, but he was there, you know. So yeah, Dan Gable, he was my coach. Yeah, it's he like was once for like four hours. <laughs> the best Gable grip in the game. I trained yeah. under the guy. <laughs> yeah, dude, that is the guy. Um, anyway, well, man, that is it, it's it's. I think what you're doing is is good. I mean, I think especially for the for for the pedophiles and the and trying to clean it up a little bit just and and i don't know that it really takes that much like you're saying i think it i think it's just a an awareness but it's also an awareness of of being a willing participant in in something like this and and i i don't know i just keep thinking at at some point you would think doesn't this work i mean is this really going to work like if if i walk out of here and somebody tries to take my wallet. Am I really going to, is this really going to work? But that's where it's super dangerous because the people that walk out of there, they think just like the faith healer, like the, the guy thinks he took the tumor out and I don't need to do the chemotherapy anymore. And so they stop doing the chemotherapy and they stop going to their doctor and a few weeks, months later, they're dead. And it's because they really thought that they had taking it out. Like the faith healer took it out. And that's the thing going on here. Like these people really think that it works, but I guess, you know, if, if you were really wondering if it worked and you were a, you were a, uh, a young person, you could just go out for the wrestling team or you could, you could, you know, do something like that and be like, I'm going to try this. <laughs> and it's, well, it's not going to work. You know, funny enough, when we uh, did our documentary we interviewed a guy who was in a cult and a martial arts cult and so when we interviewed him he actually wrote a book about it and it's called the true believers hmm. and it's a fantastic book to be honest it's very well written um but he talks about like the process in which he went from not knowing any martial arts he did see ufc he wanted to learn jujitsu he called a lot of gyms in town and then only one gym called him back and that was the cult that he wound up going oh. to and so Sometimes circumstance has a little bit to do with it as well, but he was like, he went and then he, he liked the fact that it was organized. He liked the fact that everybody seemed ecstatic to be there. Everybody was happy and welcoming. He liked how, when the instructor said was very cool and calm and was very personable. And then he would, as soon as he walked on the mat, everybody hopped to where they were supposed to be like that. Mm. Like everybody was in their places. He didn't have to say anything. They just did it because they knew. Um, and so he, he really liked how organized that was. And he was like, well, if they're disorganized, then what they're going to teach me is going to be very well organized as well. And so, and it was, um, but it was also hot dog shit, <laughs> but he didn't have anything to compare it to really, mm -hmm, you know, right. all he knew was like, well, this is my baseline, but the moment of awakening for him was when he had a friend who trained with him when he first started, but that friend moved and was coming back to visit. And when his friend moved, his friend started training Brazilian jiu-jitsu and he was only like a two or three stripe white belt. So he was still fresh in the jiu-jitsu. Well, by the time that his friend had come back to visit, he was a black belt by that time and mm. his particular BS art. And so he had this like confidence that I am a black belt. Like I, I have to know what I'm doing here. And so his friend came in and took a class. And then after the class was over, his friend tried to show him some jiu-jitsu. The instructor walked out and this is a part of the cult thing. The instructor walked out and said, you can't do that here. It's like, you're not allowed to teach that here. We have something very specific. You're going to mess up our training. We don't want you to teach that because it's going to be contradictory to things that we have taught that just simply work better. Please don't teach that here. So that's a big red flag is mm. when someone tells you you can't do something. Um, and so all of a sudden you, they left and they were like, all right, well, why don't you meet me tomorrow afternoon at the park? And we'll just like, I'll show you some stuff there. And so they did. And they wind up asking each other for like a friendly sparring match. 
And then, you know, he's a black belt at this time. And this is just a three strike white belt and jujitsu. He's like, I'm going to murder this dude. What happens? Double leg takedown, got mounted, got submitted. It was like, damn. Okay, well, let's do it again. It had to be a fluke. And it happened four or five more times until the fact that the guy got angry. The guy who wrote the book was mad. He's like, man, like, you know what? I'm taking it too easy on him is what he thought. I'm not using all the deadly pressure point stuff that I've learned. Let me use that stuff. And then he tried that. He tried to poke him in the eye. He tried to poke him in the neck. He tried the pressure point stuff. And he admitted that it was kind of like in his head, if it really did work, that would be kind of a douche move to try to hurt this guy in a friendly sparring match. But it didn't work. And he said that was like the first real awakening for him. The first moment he knew that he wasn't learning something that was actually effective. Um, But imagine if you don't interact outside of your school. Yeah. which is why it's also so important to allow your students to go train other places. If right. they feel like going to the seminar, let them go. If they feel like, because if you're secure and what you're teaching is legitimate, they won't need to go anywhere else. Right. They'll go maybe for a seminar. They'll go for fun because of friends there. Yeah, but, but the true master, to- the true master is saying, go there. If you learn yeah. something, bring it back. I would like to know what it is like a white belt mentality throughout their entire life, no matter what belt they are. Like that's, that's the true master of for sure. everyone 100%. like BJ Penn rolls with white belts, like, because he wants to see, like they get in these weird positions and maybe there's something to it. Who knows? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, but they're always trying to learn. Like that's, that's the, that's the, uh, that's like, there's red flags, but then I guess you'd call that a green flag. Like somebody that has an open mind, they're always trying to learn from everybody, no matter what their belt, no matter what their rank, no matter if it's their first day, they may be able to teach them something. There could possibly be something that they, they could teach them. And, sure. uh, that's, that's an open mind. And that's, uh, that's, that would be a good one. Like if you, if that was your instructor versus the other yeah. one, but yeah. so in the, in like that situation, do those people never, um, like go like, like spot, call it whatever you want, spar, roll, uh, full contact, um, like go live in, in wrestling. That's what we called it. Like, I mean, cause that's like, if you, you can learn all the moves you want in a wrestling practice. Right. And then mm. you've got 30 minutes of live wrestling afterwards and you just get ragdolled the whole time. You're not doing it right. <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or the other guy is doing it right. And you're like, oh, wow, it feels different when somebody's actually doing that. Like, holy cow, I'm getting the <laughs> shit beat out of me where like you can pretend like it's like, okay, I'm going to practice this half Nelson and I'm going to do that. And no move. There's not anything in wrestling or jujitsu. I mean, you, uh, an arm bar, I guess would be your, your very, very, very most basic jujitsu move. That's your most basic wrestling move. You, you do a half Nelson and the mechanics of it work, right? You're going to turn someone over if you do it right. But if you're practicing it and your partner's allowing you to do this every single time, and then you get with a big, strong football player kind of guy that keeps his arms down like this. And you're like, damn, I can't do it. I can't, this move doesn't work. Well, it's because you don't know how to do it right. Like that. And that comes from live sparring or live or going live or contact or full speed, you know? And so do those people just not do that? Do the instructors just well, not allow them to do that? It, it doesn't exactly work that way. Um, like I, I, I do think that live sparring and stuff is extremely important. And I think that it's something that everybody should do if you actually want to learn self-defense. I think you need to understand the mechanics of how is this going to work when someone's not just letting me do it. Right. But that would be the case if they were live sparring with someone who was not a part of their cult. Mm. But when you're only training and sparring in-house and you're only working with people inside the cult, 
then they can call it whatever they want. To you, you think this is real sparring. To you, you think these techniques are working. But that's because you're only there with other people who are also brainwashed into believing that they were. Yeah, I mean, but that, that's the case on a, in a, on a wrestling team or in a boxing gym or something like that. You're all learning the same stuff. And then somebody wants yeah, to go to the top. You're talking about something that's legitimate. Right. Well, I mean, I, mean, I know, but that's legitimate. what I'm asking you, though. In these illegitimate schools, it would seem like where the where the you know where the rubber would meet the road is like if they were like full sparring at the end like okay well, now we've taught you all these techniques now you guys try them together for 15 minutes well how about this let me give you an example let's say you come to uh you want to learn a language mm-hmm. and you come to me and you want to learn english and i teach you something that's not english mm-hmm. right i i just teach you something that's not english at all And the only people you really have access to at that moment to practice are the people I tell you to practice with. You're not Mm -hmm. allowed to go to that other gym. You're not Mm -hmm. allowed to go to that other, that linguist. You only can work with me. Mm -hmm. So I've isolated you. Right. And then I tell you, all right, these other people are also learning English. Now, if you had never heard English before and you were only exposed to what this nonsense that I was teaching you, Mm -hmm. you would think that you're practicing English. Right. Does that make more sense? Yeah. yeah so for sure. when these guys are sparring, yes, they do spar, but they're sparring nonsense with right. other people who only believe nonsense. Yes. And as a part of that cult, you can't go train with other people. Right. And so like, for instance, with this particular case I was telling you about, it, it wasn't that the coach wanted the guy not to teach it in his school because he was worried it would mess up what they were teaching. What he was worried about was he was going to be had as a con. Right. Well, he's, so got a, he's got a he's got a he's got a three straight white belt ragdoll in his black belt right in front of him. <laughs> like that, that's not going to look good. Exactly. And so half the battle is isolation. The other half is brainwashing. But at the end of the day, some of them do spar. Um, or if you can look at somebody like a George Doman, who's probably one of the most famous martial arts con men, who was one of the first people to really start pushing the whole no touch knockout stuff. Back in the day when he first started, he was a legitimate guy. He would go out and train and he would go to actual karate tournaments and actually spar and actually work with people. But over the years, man, that brainwashing, that delusion just kind of changed it. And then you have also the other lie, the other martial arts lie, which is this is too deadly. Mm. If I did this to you, I, I kill you. So we don't want to practice this on our friends. Registered as lethal weapons right here. Funny we'll enough. Just put them in my pocket. <laughs> There is a place that you have to register your hands as deadly weapons. There is one place. Where? Uh, we, uh, Guam. In Guam, you have to register your hands as deadly weapons? Dead if you know karate or if you know a martial art? Yep. Dead serious. Look it up. It's a real thing. What yeah, about, what if you, what, where, where do they define a martial art? What if you have never gotten a belt in anything, but you've, you've trained, I don't know what, I don't know. What if, what if, if you never consider it, if you consider yourself an expert in martial arts? Well, the only people that consider themselves an expert in martial arts are not actually experts in martial arts <laughs> because you can I always mean, learn something else and there's always <laughs> someone better, <laughs> right? You know, like there are people out there for sure who got egos, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just kind of funny because that, that was something we also discovered in our documentary um, was, you know, that lie. We were chasing down that lie and where it came from. And I'll be damned if we did not stumble across a place that actually makes you register your hands. That's, that's yeah. awesome, man. So when's your movie coming out? When's your documentary coming out? Well, right now we're working on distribution. So we filmed all of it and it's honestly some amazing footage to be. And the, the irony is one, there wasn't another documentary about the subject. We couldn't find another documentary about this particular subject anywhere. We could find documentaries about individual people, mm-hmm. but not the entirety of the subject. So that was interesting. 
or it would have been nice to have something as source material, <laughs> but we just had to, to go with, we were the only people to do it. So that makes this the first best and worst documentary about the subject. Cause it's the only one. How long um, have you been working on this? Three years. Yeah. Three yeah. years. What's uh, the runtime on it? Is it like over two hours? Well, right now we haven't edited it yet. Okay. So we're working on distribution. So our goal is based off the footage that we have, there's a lot of different avenues you can take to get a movie bought and sold. Uh-huh. Um, but based off of what we've seen, we're better off show, making a trailer. We have our pitch deck ready. Once the trailer is completely done, then we're going to pitch the movie with the trailer and with the pitch deck. And then hopefully someone will purchase it that way. And when they do, we can bring in their team to help us edit it mm-hmm. to just make a better movie. Yeah. Um, you know, because what we don't want is we don't want to make this one because after this, none of these people are going to do another interview. Oh, They're never right. Gonna, right? <laughs> Cause we're just going to rip into them. So that this will be like the last time that anybody, the first and last time anybody would have access to all of these frauds at once. We even did a seminar where I pretended to be a fraud and I taught people nonsense for a complete hour, complete horseshit for an hour. And I told them after that, uh, you know, the cameramen are going to be walking around and they're going to be filming specifically because this is going to help us as like a promo video for the rest of our seminars we're going to be doing, which wasn't true, but they were cool with it afterwards. But after that hour, I said, all right, guys, the camera people are going to go ahead and walk around and get testimonials from you while you're getting your water break. And they gave me raving reviews. They were so good. They were like, I feel so much safer now. I feel like I know how to protect myself better. And that was like eye opening and sad because I lied to these people for a complete hour teaching them stuff I know will not work. But there Um, wasn't one person in there that was like, man, I don't know. Not a one. They all gave me great reviews, every one of them. And then after that, I sat them down and I was like, all right, guys, well, what if I told you everything I just taught you was a complete lie? And they all at once were like, no, like, because I had them, I had them fooled. I had them truly believing. All I did was just take all the stuff that's already out there for anyone to use. And I just used some of the same tactics and sold them on nonsense. But then after that, I taught them a legit hour of self-defense and they were sweating and learning how to choke people and learning how to take people down. And it was a good time, but it was, it was very eye opening what people are willing to believe if you're a good enough salesman. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because I think that this goes into, it transcends martial arts and it goes into so many other things and you just got to be careful. Just got to be careful who you, who you anoint as your guru. You have to, you have to be careful of, of what you're believing and what you're, what you're going into wholeheartedly because, you know, the martial arts, it, it's obviously happening. And for anybody that's trained any kind of legitimate martial art, you look at some of this stuff and you're just like, there's just no way anybody would believe that, but they are. And the psychology of it is you, you explained it so well about what happens and, and it could be happening in so many other things. I mean, I'm sure, you know, many of other sports, do you know other sports that this goes on? Like, I mean, the I mean, faith healing is one thing we talked about, it, but it'll pop up a lot. And like, for instance, like, uh, I think the, uh, the Olympic Taekwondo team, I think their coach was molesting a lot of the women oh. on the Taekwondo team. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does happen in other sports as well. Like for instance, you know, when they were learning about concussions in football, Um, you know, like when they were first learning about it, they knew how dangerous it was and they were almost trying to cover it up, Mm. you know, because they didn't want it to seem so brutal. They wanted to be able to continue to play the damn Mm. game. Well, then you had the the women's gymnastics team. That was a horrible thing that came out. And, uh, you're talking about gold medalists and, and families that have been doing gymnastics for, for generations in some cases. And, And it's going on even in the same room that 
that they're in, like with, with the Larry Nasser deal. Um, mm. That's, that's bad news, man. I mean, it happens and it happens in all walks of life. It happens all the time, wherever there are people, there will be somebody looking forward to taking advantage of those people. Mm. If there's a sucker born every minute, then there's a fraud born every five. <laughs> so all right. Well, that's a good place to stop, man. Rob, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you are interested in any of the things that we talked about, definitely good follows on McDojo Life on Instagram. Where else are you? YouTube, for sure. We're building our YouTube up like, uh, man, we've been hammering away. We're putting out new content, original content. We're doing news stories every day now. It's It's been it's been growing. So that's, that's the major one for sure. Right on. That's, that's even growing faster than Instagram. You got like 400,000 followers on Instagram. I, I wish <laughs> I wish <laughs> this, this would be in a much different, like I'd have different camera angles. Yeah. I'd have the equipment. And well, we'll come back team. after the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with that documentary, man. That's, that sounds, uh, that sounds great. I can't wait to, can't wait to watch it. Hopefully it gets sold and distributed quickly. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. All right, Rob. Thanks again. And uh, man, I hope you have a good day uncovering all the frauds and pedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> Great day. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Thank all right. You. See ya.